Hello, welcome, and thanks for checking in today to No Vacancy, the podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Palmer. I'm an Airbnb ambassador and 17-time super host, and I've hosted over 1,000 reservations. I'm a stay-at-home mom of two and manage my eight listings remotely. My mission is to help new and experienced vacation rental hosts turn their listings into fully booked, profitable properties that can be managed from anywhere, so you too can have no vacancies. If that sounds good to you, let's get right into the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of No Vacancy, the podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Palmer, and today we have on Sarah Weaver. I got to meet Sarah in person at the Midterm Rental Summit in San Diego a couple months ago, and I feel like she was just such a joy to talk to, and I immediately wanted to have her on, but this woman literally never stops traveling. Literally, she's actually homeless and always travels, and so it was so hard to get the dates here, but we're finally here. Welcome, Sarah. So glad to see you again. Thank you so much. You know, homeless has not been the best thing to describe me on my dating apps, but for everything else, it really hooks people. So yeah, I am homeless, but I own quite a bit of houses. I know the irony, right? Yeah, it's it was so fun talking to you and just like hearing everything that you do. I feel like you have 50 different side hustles and income streams and businesses you own and all sorts of stuff. And then, yeah, hearing how much you're killing it and then you don't have like a base to call home. I just was blown away. I feel like for me, I have to have like a place I come back to to like reset for everything. So I'm so impressed by how you do this on the go. And it's a lifestyle I honestly don't understand or relate to. But I think a lot of people are really attracted to van life right now. And being able to travel hack and go wherever they want. And so I just want to hear your whole story and your whole breakdown of how you've done everything and how you do it with your lifestyle. Absolutely. So yes, I'm fully nomadic. So I like to call that homeless by choice. So (laughs) if if I wanted to go live somewhere, I could, but I'm addicted. I'm addicted to the travel. And I haven't counted recently, but the last time I counted, I think I have 11 streams of income and I am running three small businesses and by small, all of them will hit six figures this year. I'd really like for one of them to hit seven figures, but that's probably going to happen next year in 2024. And then my fourth is running my own portfolio. So I own 19 units in four states and half of those are furnished rentals. And tell us a little bit about your portfolio. Is it a mix of, do you do long-term STR and midterm, or are you specializing in one of those? Absolutely. So of the 19 units, they are, 10 of them are long-term rentals, unfurnished. And then of the nine that are furnished rentals, I use what I call the hybrid model. So in the summer months, I switch to a short-term rental. I allow to two night, three night, seven nights days especially around the College World Series, which is in Mm -hmm. Omaha, Nebraska, which is where some of my furnished rentals are. So I really take advantage of those high nightly rates. And then basically the moment that I want to or I think it's going to be best, I switch it back to a medium-term rental. And that is what 
gives me the highest cash flow through the fall, winter, and spring months. And so they are a mix of short-term and medium-term. Gotcha. That's my favorite strategy I'm like learning about is how to blend those two. I feel like people think they're either setting up a midterm or a short term and you can definitely have both. Yeah. As long as the regulations in your market allow it. I really believe in the hybrid model. I want to maximize my cash flow and do what's best for my property as well as my tenant pool. Yeah, I love that. And then can you tell us about the three other businesses outside of managing your portfolio? Absolutely. So one thing that I think makes me really unique in my real estate is that I buy everything out of state because I'm always traveling. So sometimes I'm living abroad. So for example, I lived in New Zealand. I bought in Nebraska. I was in Mexico when I bought in Missouri. So I got to keep up with the alliteration. So next time I buy in (laughs) Iowa, I have to go to an I country like India. Indonesia. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. I wouldn't be mad about being in Bali and buying (laughs) duplexes in Des Moines, Iowa. (laughs) So so when I started telling my story about buying far away, I attracted a lot of people in your market. So a lot of Californians were like, wait a minute, you're telling me that I can buy in Iowa or Ohio or Oklahoma, and I've been scared to buy a few states over or in a place I've never visited. These are messages that I got all the time. And so my goal is to really break down how did I do it? So what's the actual process of buying in places that you've never been? And then how do we break down the fear? Because investing is risky, but let's eliminate as much risk as possible by buying good deals. And Mm -hmm. so how do I do that? I have a coaching program. So I coach people, teaching them exactly how to buy out of state. And then I wrote a book that maybe you guys have heard of called 30 Day Stay, A Real Estate Investor's Guide to Mastering the Medium-Term Rental co-authored with Ziana McIntyre, who I believe has been a guest of yours in the past, published by Bigger Pockets. And what happened is people either heard my story through the book or through podcasts or speaking at conferences, which I do often. And I think everyone was like, wait a minute. I think you have a, like, I like to call it an investing cocktail. And there's only two ingredients, out-of-state investing and medium-term rentals. And for me, that has been like the magic bullet to optimize cash flow as well as optimized lifestyle. I like the medium-term rentals because I get silence for about 70 days with my tenants. No turnover, no check-ins, no messaging my cleaner. Even all of that is automated. Yeah. So thank you to your podcast. I've learned a lot from you and your guests. And all of that is automated, but it still takes up mind space. And so I designed a coaching program that takes people through a whole year Because even after you buy the property, then you have a whole nother list of questions. Then when you run into a snag, which unfortunately we all do, then you have a whole nother set of questions. Yeah. So I'm with my students for a whole 12 months. And the mentorship program is one of my many businesses, but that's probably my favorite. It's not as sexy as my other two businesses, which I'm about to talk about. But that business, I think, helps the most people. And I, for example, I teach almost every Tuesday via Zoom. And because I'm here in London, it was midnight. I was so jazzed after teaching for an hour and a half that I I couldn't even go to bed until like four in the morning. And so it's really clear that I love coaching and I really love my students because I, I don't necessarily think everyone should own a bunch of real estate. But what I do believe is I believe people should have more freedom. Because if you own more real estate, you have more passive income, you can quit the job you hate. You can show up as a better wife. 
a better friend, a better sister, a better human. And honestly, the world would be a lot better if we all just showed up a little bit better. You really have inspired me so much because I actually am just starting my coaching program right now too, something I've wanted to do for like 18 months and finally getting it off the ground rolling. By the time this episode comes out, we'll have already started with my first group of students. And one of your students, Eileen, is a good friend of mine now. And she's just like raved about the mentorship with you and how helpful it's been. And so I think that was a huge inspiration for me to want to create mine. And I think we're very aligned on our values. Like my program is constantly coming back to do not replace your current job with making this another one. Like how do we do this in a few hours a week and make this as passive as possible? So yeah, I love to see another another host out there with the same mindset. Absolutely. Well, congratulations on launching your program. I think that you. you have an incredible energy and your students are going to gain a lot from you. Oh, that's how I feel about you. Do you cover also your other businesses that you do? So you've got the portfolio and then the coaching program. And then what are your other income streams? Yes. So what I say is that through my book and probably just following me on Instagram, I'm going to convince everyone that they need a furnished rental in a place that they don't live. And then I'm likely going to convince them. I love what you said. I don't want you to have another. So Mm -hmm. if you guys are listening to this, I don't want you to fly to Oklahoma and furnish your rental. So how can you furnish a rental in a place that you don't live? Mm -hmm. Well, you could hire Aria Design Services, my company that helps you analyze, furnish and launch your Airbnb by giving you a customized design and taking kind of the hassle out of furniture building, decorating, as well as just how the heck do you put together a systematized furnished business? Because it's not just a furnished rental. Like we're not looking for more jobs here. That's why I have 11 streams of income because I don't want a J-O-B. I want streams of income and because I want freedom. And so Aria Design Services will furnish it for you. So if you've really been kind of kicking the can down the street thinking, oh yeah, someday I'll own an Airbnb in a place that I don't live, whether it's purely a rental or maybe it's something that you and your family enjoy and want to spend time at Mm -hmm. and at cash flows. Regardless of what type of furnished rental it is, Aria Design Services can furnish it for you. So how does that work? Do you have like designers and stagers in all 50 states or around the world? Or like, what are you doing when you get a client? Yeah, but it's probably no surprise, Natalie, that I attract a lot of travelers. People Mm -hmm. follow me. They want to hang out with me. They want to do what I do, which is travel full time. And so both my designer as well as our multiple installers, they fly out to the property. So it doesn't matter where the property is. If you are in Europe or Central America or South America, we'd love to work with you. But right now we work all over the U.S. We have furnished over 50 units in 12 different states. And we're always looking for new markets to serve more investors. I have to ask, did you ever see yourself owning a design company? Because I feel like people start to dabble in real estate and then so many doors open of like, wait, I could totally do like an automated AI messaging service or like I could design like a smart lock. I could form a cleaning company or whatever. So was this like a dream of yours or was it just seeing a need and going for it? Yeah, it was. I mean, it's a lot of different things. I mean, who doesn't love spending other people's money? So that's like how it started was, (laughs) yeah, I would love to decorate for you. But then I realized that's not my highest and best use. So me walking the aisles of world market, picking out things, It's fun for like a unit or two, but that is not what lights my fire. And so I thankfully read the book, Who Not How, 
by Dr. Benjamin Hardy and Dan Sullivan. And essentially what it says is you don't need to know how to do something or how to build a business, but you do need the who. And I'm so lucky I met my who for Aria Design Services actually in Bali, which is funny that we mentioned it earlier. <laughs> and we met in a hostel called Aria, A-R-Y-A. So that's why Aria Design Services was born. And she's incredible. She's a true integrator. She can dot I's and cross T's and has just a beautiful eye for aesthetic and thinks like an investor. And so one thing that makes Aria Design Services really different is that we're not interior designers. We are investors who design mm -hmm. your unit for you. And so we're really good at saving you money where it matters and then spending money where it's a good investment. Okay. Okay. I love, yeah, just thinking about it differently like that because there are a ton of interior designers out there who will tell you that you need a $100,000 budget or something. But if you're coming from the investor perspective, you're going to look at the numbers very differently. Well, and the thing is that you and I both, we've seen it all. And so, yeah. yes, the, you know, cream Moroccan poof is beautiful. It photographs really well, but it's going to last, what, maybe five guests before it's completely ruined because your guests don't think about taking their shoes off when they enter the house or, yeah. you know, if you allow pets, the pet's going to do something to it. And so while that's beautiful and it probably belongs in your you know, second home or maybe yeah. in your primary where you're going to personally take care of it, but it doesn't belong in your investment property. And that's a silly example. I'm sure some people are like, what's a Moroccan poof? And I think that's the whole <laughs> no, point. No, this if audience you... wouldn't know what a Moroccan poof is. <laughs> and, and I think after an investor furnishes a unit or two, you realize, wow, like the novelty kind of gone. And putting furniture together is no longer what I should be doing on a Tuesday night or in a weekend that you fly out to your property if you do end up buying out of state. And so we get a lot of people that own furnished rentals and they're like, yeah, I don't want to do that piece. For somebody who's listening to this and maybe they have an idea to create a business in addition to being a host and investor. I'd love to ask, like, what is in it for your partner to work with you? If her fire is lit by being a designer, how does your partnership benefit each other? Like, transparently, why couldn't she do her own thing? Yeah, absolutely. She does not like sales and she does not like marketing. Gotcha. And so we work so well together because I, my, I get my dopamine hits from closing a client or doing a sales call. Great example is two days ago, I was actually on the train or the tube here in London. And my phone rang. It was a real estate investor in Alexandria. She had read my book, heard me on a podcast, and essentially had already made up her mind that she had wanted to use Aria Design Services, had a few questions. And in closing that client, that's what I get really excited about. For my business partner, that is not how she wants to spend her time. She does not want to be on the phone. Actually, I haven't talked. I haven't talked to my business partner in like 12 weeks because of our travel schedule. And so we just work so well together and we have a really clear vision for the property. So great like side note is she just sent me an Instagram message this morning. It's this amazing A-frame and it literally said, I think this is what we should use Aria Designs Profit for. Like we should decorate this kick-ass Airbnb airframe her and I get to use it. It's an example of our services. Nice. And so that's how her and I's mind work. Another example is that we have an amazing employee, Julie, out of the Philippines. 
And so if Kendra and I hit certain metrics, we want to go to the Philippines to visit Julie. And I think that like Kendra and I, we get along so well, but our personalities are completely different. Her like threshold for the clients is a lot different than mine. And so those hard phone calls with very difficult clients, guess who gets to do those? Me. (laughs) And I don't mind because I appreciate a challenge. I want my clients to be happy. And when I do win over a very difficult client or I solve a problem, again, that's where I get my dopamine hit. Gotcha. Okay. So tell us about another one of your businesses now. And do you have partners for everything that you're doing or like how I still don't understand how you run four businesses basically and have 11 streams of income and still have time to travel the world. Break this down for us. <laughs> yes. So Aria Design Services is my only business that I have a business partner. A few of my properties, three of my properties to be exact, I do own with equity partners. But two of the three, when I brought them in, I said, hello, you are going to be a silent partner. And they said, great, that's what I want. They just okay. wanted to make that mailbox money, not be involved. Don't they don't they didn't want to do any of the on the ground work when it came to owning real estate. And so that works really well for them. One of mine is more involved because she happens to live in the market where the property is. And that worked really well for us. And so I consider them business partners because we own properties together, but it's completely different than my relationship with my designer Kendra. Okay. So then the mentorship program, I don't have a business partner. And then my fourth and final business is called Invested Adventures. And I take real estate investors on epic adventures around the world. And you guys were just on like an African safari, right? We were. We did an eight-day African safari in Tanzania, followed by an eight-day Kilimanjaro hike. Amazing. And how you live, you live to talk about it. (laughs) Yeah, not if you had talked, if you had spoken to me even a week ago, it's been three weeks since I came off the mountain. Even a week ago, I was not in like good mind or body. It was the most difficult hike. An example was I was vomiting like four of the eight days. I was coughing blood for three of the eight days. And you did this Um, for fun. Yeah, I every day I'm like, I don't even like hiking. <laughs> and I don't know if that's true all the time, but there were definitely moments in the eight days where, yeah, I don't necessarily like hiking. What like made you want to do this? Was it like the group was like, hey, this is what we want to do. And you're like, well, this is what I planned. So I'll listen to you guys. Or did you, Sarah, who doesn't even like hiking, be like, I volunteer, like I'm going to go. <laughs> <laughs> I volunteer as tribute. So, so actually, oh, it's a great story, Natalie. So earlier this year in January, I held my annual goal setting retreat. I take real estate investors for four days and it's goal setting unlike anything you've ever experienced. We do it in a new location every year. This year it was in Guatemala. And unfortunately, I tripped and fell on cobblestone sober for the audience in case you're wondering. And I broke every bone in my arm and had to, got to host the event with a broken arm and then fly back to the United States after the event to have more or less emergency surgery. And I now have a prosthetic elbow. Oh my gosh. I knew like, I think we talked about this when I met you, but we, I spoke at the Orlando summit hosted by the Robinsons. And I think you were scheduled to be a speaker too. And then I heard that like you shattered your entire arm two days before something crazy and wouldn't be there. 
So now it, you have exactly. a prosthetic elbow and you so still have a prosthetic to go elbow. hike Mount Kilimanjaro. <laughs> okay. I'm keeping up. Yeah. So this happened in January and without getting like too into the weeds, it just was a wake up call. It was a wake up call that living nomadically has been amazing for my personal life. It's even been amazing for my business and professional life because I can say yes to a speaking opportunity in Orlando or San Diego and be on a plane because I'm always on a plane. However, my personal life, including my health, really has taken a beating the last five years. I have not prioritized eating healthy, exercise, movement, and frankly, I'm the heaviest I've ever been. And like walking up a flight of stairs, I was a bit winded. And I was never going to slow down. I had crazy travel plans. I was supposed to go straight from Guatemala to Orlando. I was going to fly from Orlando down to Patagonia and do a five-day hike. But that was, you know, there's not a lot of elevation. I was like, surely I can hike Patagonia. And the universe just said, no, like you can't. Like you are not taking care of yourself, like both mentally and physically. And it took shattering my arm and like disintegrating my elbow to finally reevaluate what's important. And the wealth is incredible. I'm so wildly grateful for everything that I've built. But who the freak cares about 11 streams of income if you're having these amazing travels and you're hiking to a waterfall, but one, you're so stinking out of breath, you can't talk to anyone during the hike. And two, when all your friends are posing, you're thinking, I don't really want a photo of myself by the waterfall. Like, mm -hmm. I don't like how I look. And that's not me being vain. It's just I'm not the best version of myself. And so in breaking my arm, it was a huge realization that I have to prioritize my health. So when I had an opportunity to take people on safari, anyone can go on safari. You're sitting in a vehicle for right. eight days. There's not a lot of physical activity. You stand on the seats every once in a while to get a better look of the elephant and the leopard and the lion and the rhino, all these things. But Kilimanjaro is incredibly difficult, even for very fit people, because of the elevation gain. You're going mm -hmm. up to almost, you're going up to over 19,000 feet. Yeah. And so <laughs> you're above the... You're above the clouds starting on day two of this eight-day hike. So it's four and days up and four back down? It's six up and two down. Oh, obviously. Coming back is yeah. easier. Okay. Well, <laughs> not easier. It's actually, that was the most miserable part of the hike, which none of us, I think, were mentally ready for. Really? You're just so ready to be done. You're like, mm -hmm. I summited, which I did summit, everyone. Um, Congrats. This is a live audience. That's where everyone claps. What? And so I summited and I I needed it, Natalie. Like I, I've had so many business wins. Like writing the book was an incredible professional accomplishment. Owning all this real estate. I don't come from money. Like my, I love my parents and they're so supportive. And my dad works, you know, a W-2 job and my mom cleans houses for a living. And so I never imagined that I'd become a millionaire in my 30s and own multiple businesses and have these streams of income. And I really needed to win physically because I've been really down on myself. It's easy for me to say, yeah, I'm good at, you know, speaking in front of people or business connections and networking, all these things. But I suck at taking care of myself. 
And I realized that language and that belief is really keeping me from having the body and the health that I deserve. Well, congratulations. I think that's, I think your self-awareness is very like admirable. I think there's so many people who would look at you with envy probably at everything you've accomplished business-wise and you just never know what somebody might be struggling with mentally or physically like you said. And so I think it's great that you can you seem to like compartmentalize very well. Like, yes, I'm doing well here, but this is where I want to improve rather than just like beating yourself up as a whole. I feel like you zoned in that like physically is what you wanted to improve and you went and did a physical challenge. It's very impressive. Thank you. Would you do something like that again? Or do you feel like this is like the <laughs> one out of your system? Like, I think too soon. Too soon. Maybe ask me. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I am doing Patagonia 2024. So if anyone listening is a hiker, maybe Patagonia, we're doing the W Trek is on your bucket list. Please reach out to me. We're looking for badass real estate investors to come join us. And I will be hiking that that trek because of the arm and the surgery. I didn't make it to Patagonia this year. Yeah. And so I had a real estate investor take my place and lead not one, but two groups of real estate investors. And man, did they have a great time. Yeah, that's amazing. So so your other, your this is the fourth and business. And what's it called again, where you travel with investors? Yeah, it's called Invested Adventures. And okay. one thing I want to make really clear is that the trips are amazing and completely a tax write-off because of course they're a business expense. Of course. Because of course, when they're international, we spend 75% of the day talking about business. And we do because what happens is how often do you get to have dinner with 12 real estate investors in all different walks of life. We had someone that owned, you know, $10 million worth of real estate to someone that owned $300,000 worth of real estate. We had people who had been doing this for 20 years, people who have just started in short-term rentals, syndications, flips, wholesaling. We had a, you know, CPA who specializes in real estate investors. And what happens is you naturally are like, you're on safari in the car for two hours you know, looking for giraffe or rhinos and you turn to the next person, you're like, so should I 1031 exchange this property? <laughs> and next thing you know, we're doing like back of napkin math and then later, you know, sharing our spreadsheets and how we analyze our properties and how we analyze new properties. And what I'm so excited to say is that someone who didn't own investment property came on safari and hiked Kilimanjaro and 15 days after going home, she's under contract. Oh my gosh. So even for brand new beginners, this is an option for you. Yeah. And I think what I say is that you don't have to own real estate, but you need to be completely sure that you're going to buy something in the next 90 to 180 days. We don't want looky lose. If you're like, oh, maybe I'll dabble in real estate. Frankly, Invested Adventures is not for you because you're taking the spot of someone who really needs to be in that seat. Because what I call it is the after effect. So we have events that are more mindset focused where we do more than hike Kilimanjaro. We meet in a, you know, in a mansion in Nashville and spend about four hours a day masterminding. And what I love is not only that we get to do cool things like that, but then people go home and they write more offers, they own more real estate, and in turn they show up better in the world, like we mentioned earlier in the episode. Yeah. 
And that's exactly why I do what I do with Invested Adventures. How did you even come up with this idea? Like my thought would be this is so niche, like not just real estate investors, but those who want to travel across the globe and hike and put themselves through these crazy adventures. And I feel like you're just crushing it with the audience you found. But like what gave you the confidence to move forward with this idea? I think the first one was that I get so many messages about, hey, Sarah, I'm going to Italy. What are your favorite restaurants? And I'm like, you know, I'm not a tour guide, but I can't help myself. So let me tell you all the things. And then I tell them about credit card hacking and using points because every real estate property you buy, especially if it's a furnished rental, put out everything on a credit card, get the sign up bonus, use that sign up bonus to buy free flights. So I love the mix. But here's what happened, Natalie, is I would pour myself into someone and guess how many flights they booked. Or how many trips they went on? None. Nothing. Like, nothing. Zero. Because yeah. people talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. So almost yeah. out of frustration, I was like, okay, guys, if I just planned a trip, would you guys all come? <laughs> and more or less, that's how Invested Adventures was born. I love that. I love that. And yeah, that's been a huge learning thing that I've had to overcome too, is like for the longest time, I would give free checklists and resources and no one takes action and it sucks. But like when people pay, they pay attention. And so, yeah, I think that's really cool that you like saw this need, built that out. Do you have dreams to grow Invested Adventures for bigger groups or is the intimacy like part of what makes it special? Yeah, I think that. So for those of you wondering, I typically keep the group between 11 and 17 investors. I think there's this kind of magic that happens when there's 13 clients and me and maybe another guide. And the reason being is that especially introverts, who I actually cater to a lot of introverts, as a wildly extroverted person, this makes me very happy because the pandemic and paired with choosing to live differently, which anyone listening, if you're buying real estate, by the way, you're different, right? Like, your high school friends, your past teachers, your neighbors, they're probably not landlords, right? Like when you raise your hand and say, hey, I want to pursue financial independence through real estate investing, you become a weirdo. And those two things, like the pandemic and then choosing to pursue financial independence, makes people really lonely. And you don't deserve to do this life, let alone real estate investing, alone. You're not an island, introverted or extroverted. You don't deserve to do life alone. And so my hope is that people that really crave community and desire connection have an opportunity to come on a trip with Invested Adventures. I love it. I love it. I love what you've built. Do you have like the next like 10 trips pre-planned already? Like you're like, this is where we're going and I just haven't announced it yet. Or do you like let the locations come up organically? Yeah, great question. So yeah, actually, you can be the first to hear. I I am about to announce, well, I already said, so Patagonia 2024. That won't be a huge surprise for very many people. But the next location, I think is a bit shocking and involves no hiking. So I hope everyone's listening. If you're like, no girl, I want like a margarita in hand. I don't do that hiking thing. I hear you. That's totally fine. So this next location, there will be cocktails but not quite beach location. Antarctica. I, 
I am taking people to Antarctica. Sarah. Oh my God. That's amazing. So is this 2025? 2024. So yeah. So, so we are going, I'll tell you the dates. So we're going February 10th to the 18th. Oh my God. That's like coming up. Yeah. And I will be my seventh continent. Someone already signed up. It's also their seventh continent. And I'm looking for seven other investors to come experience this incredible once in a lifetime location. I am so insanely jealous right now. Kilimanjaro is not doing it for me. Antarctica, I would go in a heartbeat. Oh my gosh. Well, why not come February 2024? I'm actually thinking about it right now. It's like three <laughs> weeks before our Level Up Your Listing Summit. So Tatiana might kill me if I dip for like a week and a half to go to Ooh, a brand new continent. But oh my bringer, gosh. Bringer, I think it's the best way to prep for a summit. And I think that you belong there. So Tatiana, so- did you hear that? We're going to Antarctica <laughs> in February, okay? <laughs> I my, my business partner, Kendra, with Aria, she's also coming. So oh you'll get to my meet her. gosh. Literally, where are you coming up with these locations? I feel like you're just like looking at the spinning a globe around and you're like, <laughs> that one. Yep, let's make it happen. So so what happened? I'll admit. So what happened in 2021 and 2022 is I chose locations that I knew I could sell okay. as well as locations that I had really good connections with. So when I take people to Guatemala, which is one of my favorite places, and it's not on a lot of people's bucket list and it should be. We are, you know, eating not just with a private chef, but we're eating at his house. Mm -hmm. And then we have a rooftop with a rooftop pool and views of volcanoes. And we're not just having any bartender do a cocktail class. We're having the country's best bartender. He's won best craft cocktail the last three years in a row. And he's the one that teaches our cocktail class because he's a good friend of mine. And so that's the kind of service that you get when you come on one of these trips. And I had the best time planning these. And then in 2023, as I was planning for it, I said, what do I want to do? Like, what is serious? Like, if this all goes away, which I'm very confident it won't, but if this all goes away and I looked back and I said, man, I'm so glad I went to X, what would it be? And African Safari was a no-brainer because I had the, like, I had the maybe not limiting belief, but I had the thought that safari was for just rich old people. Mm. And the reality is that we were in the safari vehicle. We actually filled two vehicles. There was 12 of us or 11 plus me. And it was the most fun. I mean, we were laughing. We ended up, you know, going really deep and masterminding and I made people cry and we just really got vulnerable. And oh my gosh, did we laugh. I think that's that trip Sorry to any of my previous guests. That trip, I have never laughed so hard or so much with my clients in my life. It was so much fun. And we look over and there's another safari van and it'd be like clearly a couple, maybe even on their honeymoon. And they looked so bored. (laughs) Oh, God. And, And then it's funny, just two weeks ago here in London, I met someone. She and her boyfriend went on safari and she admitted yeah, we kind of wish that we were with other people. Like we did get a little bored. So not only, so it really was confirmed. And then exactly like this would be an incredible meme. There was an older gentleman in his vehicle. And I kid you not, he was asleep. (laughs) You paid that much money 
all the time and travel to get down there. And then you fall asleep when you're on the safari ride. Yeah. Whereas when you come with Sierra Weaver, I will make you laugh. I'll make you cry. I'll make you go under contract 15 days after going home. <laughs> like really amazing things happen. So safari was something that I didn't know I needed. But now that I've done it, I- I'm going to go again. Yeah. We had someone come on the trip. She's an investor in St. Louis. She This was her third safari. And I remember thinking, why would you go on safari three times? Now I know exactly why you go on safari three times. It is so magical. It is life-changing. It's this like... It's just this really out of this world experience that I wouldn't understand unless I saw it with my own eyes. That's amazing. So you pay to just show up and have Sarah tell you where to go and where to show up and plan all the cocktails and the safari ride and everything you need. And you get the magic of bonding with 12 other investors. And we'll probably go on contract 15 days after you get back. And it doesn't just end there. My Guatemala group, the one that met earlier this year, you know, while I'm I have a bum arm. (laughs) They actually meet every every month. They meet on Mondays via Zoom. I actually was able to go this week. And it's incredible. Like you have the support of people that you just otherwise, you don't get that with an online mastermind or meeting in a conference room or at a conference. You just don't get that, what I call the after effect. And so that's really fun. And then you brought up a really good point. I just took 12 real estate investors to the south of Italy. It was our first time looking at property. This was an incredible trip. It was mostly focused around food. I think all of us gained one to five pounds. And what they kept saying, which I have never had guests say this before, which is why it's sticking out. They kept saying, I love that I'm not making any decisions. Because a lot of the people at the table, they're achievers. Maybe they're a three on the Enneagram or a high D on the disc. And they're just used to go accomplish, accomplish, achieve. And they just got to show up. And we usually did like the um, menu, like a tasting menu for them. So they didn't even have to order their food. They just got fed. They just had to pick what wine do you want today? Do you want rosé, red or white? Those are the only, that's the only decision that they had to make for about 12 hours a day. And I'm so grateful to be able to provide this experience for real estate investors because we do, we work really hard. That's such a great point too. And I've even noticed it like when my husband gets home, if he, I don't know, asks me like, what's for dinner or something or like where we're getting, where we're picking up food from, like I get angry and I'm like, just pick, just pick a place. Like I'm done all day long. I've been calling shots and I'm over it. Like, please just pick a place. And I can imagine, you know, as your portfolio just grows and grows, how exponentially the decision fatigue can wear on you. This yeah. sounds magical. Like I, I, if it doesn't happen by Antarctica, I am going on one of these trips. I think, Sarah, I honestly, this is not just flattery. I think you are one of the coolest people in this industry, like, like top three, top five for sure. I don't know. I just love like your approach to business. I feel like you really do your own thing. And it's like, what the hell? I want to go to a safari and I'm going to bring 12 people with me and turn this into a business. Like, I just like, (laughs) who thinks like that, you know? And I I just love, you're like, oh, all these people that I'm talking to, all my clients, they have a huge hurdle of designing their out-of-state listings. I'll start a design company. I just really love how any opportunity you see, like you go for it. I don't know. I admire you very much. And I think you're so cool to talk to. And I will be on one of these trips for sure. 
Amazing. You, I have a spot for you anytime. And thank you so much. I want to give a piece of advice to your audience. If you're Let's listening to this and you're like, man, like I, I don't necessarily want to be nomadic because that, by the way, guys, that's not what I'm selling. Nothing I sell tells people they should be nomadic. Go There's sell your house of- and you can never <laughs> visit home again if you work with Sarah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's not the, that's not what I'm selling. But what I am selling is I want everyone listening to think like, what do I want my life to look like? And it can be really simple. By the way, I'm like really craving simplicity. So I would love, you know, what did I do the other day that was like the most simple? Oh, yes. I went and bought collagen to put in my coffee and I'm staying somewhere that has an espresso. And I was like pouring my collagen in my coffee. I put lemon in my water and I was like, wow, this is like the best morning. (laughs) And And then right before lunch, I walked to the grocery store. And I bought my lunch and I made my lunch. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so fun. And I just died laughing because I realized like all of my friends, especially I'm in my 30s, like they've been doing this for a decade. But for me, this is such a new experience, like having the very simple thing of like having a grocery store a five minute walk away. And so so I want it to be really clear that I'm not telling anyone to like, yeah, sell their house, sell their kids. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is, what do you want? Like, what do you want your life to look like? I recently got asked the question, how do you want your life to be different in three years? Mm. And it doesn't have to be this like, you know, oh, I want to quit my job. I want to do all these things. But it could be really simple. So some people listening, I know that you want a lake house that pays for itself. Because maybe like me, you grew up going to the lake as a kid. And you want your kids to have that same experience. Well, then get really intentional. What do what as a real estate investor, what do you need to do to own a lake house? Well, you need to pick a market. You need to find an investor-friendly agent. You need to have crystal clear deal criteria. You need to find financing. You need to write offers. And then guess what? You could have your dream lake house like within a year or less. And that's just one example of the types of things that I'm seeing my clients do with intentionality. But if you're just waking up every day, scrolling on Instagram or TikTok, hoping that someone will tell you what to do or give you the answers, like no one's coming to save you. And so if you want something, you have to like very fiercely go after it. There's also with that too, like, yeah, pursuing somebody that will set you on the right track. But I think even beyond finding the right mentor, somebody that will set you on the right track, there's such a mindset shift that happens when you go out of your way to find that person. Like you said, like even if you were to scroll Instagram or TikTok and somebody would lay out the plan for you, I don't think you would take action unless it started from a place of like you going to seek that out. So I don't know. There's just a whole like brain chemistry alteration, I think that happens like when you set a goal, even if you don't know how you're going to get there, but you seek out the people and the resources to make it happen. And then you start following the steps. So and and a lot of times I have people that say, well, Sarah, I don't know what I want. And I really empathize with people like that, because if you're doing the same thing, if you're laughing at my collagen story, you're like, yeah, every morning I scoop, you know, the collagen in my coffee and or my protein shake. And then I do my commute to work. And if your life is the same or even relatively the same, you have to have a hard stop. And so for me, an example was I attended a goal setting workshop and I was taken out of my routine 
And given the time and space to really intentionally think about my goals, and I wrote down pages and pages of goals for each like bucket of life or the, you know, the wheel of life. And I can confidently say that I hit every goal in business. I hit wow. every goal in investing. I hit every goal in public speaking. Not so much in dating or health. Those goals just kept getting pushed aside, to be completely fair and vulnerable with all of you all. But it was the hard stop and taking myself out of my norm that allowed me the space to think, okay, what do I want my life to look like? And I wrote, I was like, well, I want to write a best-selling book about real estate investing. I want to speak at Bigger Pockets. I want, it's another example. I wanted to have a business that made well over six figures. And I did all of those things because I realized that those were important to me. But if I hadn't realized that I wanted those things, they probably maybe wouldn't have happened. Yeah. Yeah. How do you go after something when you don't even know what it is you're going after, right? Like you have to articulate it or have a vision for it or better yet, I think write it down like you did. Yeah. I think that this episode is going to be one that gives people a lot to think about. We veered a lot from like the business talk and investing in the numbers to just like mindset and motivation here. But I think that this is probably much needed. Sarah, thank you so much for sharing your whole journey with us. And I'm going to link all of your different businesses and ways to connect with you below. And then just very quickly, what is the best way for people to reach you if they don't want to check out the show notes? Absolutely. So on Instagram, I'm at Sarah D. Weaver. If you liked this episode, if you have follow-up questions, if I struck a nerve, please reach out to me. I really like hearing from you guys. It, it's in doing that, reaching out to people that I got to where I am. So I now like can pick up the phone and call people that I greatly admire and ask for help. So I would love to do the same for you. If you want to check out my website and see our next event or what we're doing, or maybe you need help from Aria Design, just go to sarahdweaver.com. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Sarah. It was great catching up with you. I'm glad you survived your hike to come over here and grace us all today. Thank you so much. And finally, for this week's Am I the Airbnb Hole, we have a first in Am I the Airbnb Hole history. Today's story, today's post we are reading, does not come from the perspective of a host, does not come from the perspective of a guest, does not come from the perspective of somebody who works at Airbnb or really somebody who ever had any affiliation at all with an Airbnb in a short-term rental. This is a shocking perspective that we have, and I found this post on Reddit, so a change of pace from our usual Facebook stash that I'm always combing through, but let's, let's dive in and read this. The headline from this Redditor says, Landlord Airbnb'd my home while I was on vacation. And here is the post. I currently rent a home in California on a one-year lease. I recently stayed in Vancouver for a couple months with my family to spend time with my nephew and enjoy summer vacation. When I got back to my house, I had noticed that items from my house had been missing, such as my PlayStation, PC, and even an entire gun safe with a firearm inside. There was no sign of forced entry whatsoever. I filed a police report for the theft, along with asking my neighbors if they saw anything. This is where the what the fuck comes in. 
two of my neighbors said they didn't even realize I was gone because they saw cars parked in front along with people coming and going the entire time. I proceeded to ask my landlord if he has had any repairmen or people coming and going since that's the only way somebody could have a key to the front. He said he rented out the space on Airbnb while I was gone. I am absolutely furious. He denies any wrongdoing, stating that it's his building and I vacated for two months. I was paying every single month while I was gone. He knew I would be gone because I let him know that I would not be able to pay the rent in person for the next two months and would have to cash app him instead. He is refusing any liability, saying that he is not responsible for the guests and that I should just file a renter's insurance claim for the missing items. Are you actually kidding me? This is absolute insanity and we've never gotten a post like i said from this perspective it's always either from a host or a guest or maybe even like a property manager a co-host somebody who works at airbnb i have never seen this this person had no intention of ever wanting this to be involved with the short-term rental industry at all all they do is have a one-year lease on a property and their landlord went and airbnb the place out behind their back while while still collecting two months of rent from this person and now their pc their playstation and their safe with their gun inside got stolen are you kidding me this landlord needs to be in prison needs to be in prison i do not understand how this landlord has the audacity to say oh go file a renter's insurance claim what this is so 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 evil i I actually hate this landlord so much. I don't know them, and I know I'm I'm Catholic, all right? I'm Christian. I know we're not supposed to hate people. No, I hate this person. This is so evil and unethical to do. This makes landlords look bad. This makes Airbnb look bad. This is so effed up to do to your tenant who is trusting you with a one-year lease. This is also so unfair to do to those guests who now came in to a place that was just littered with somebody else's personal items because that person obviously didn't tidy up and like clean before they left they didn't know there'd be guests there could you imagine how violating that must feel what if you like you didn't do laundry before you left or something and you've got like your panties in the hamper they're like oh my god or i don't know your your food in your pantry like knowing that somebody went through that and like ate that or something or if you've got stuff in the freezer or like your meal prep, your utensils, your toothbrush. What if you left a toothbrush there and now you're just like, did the guests use it? Like, I would be so traumatized. I feel like I would just throw everything out, all of my food. I I would just be so grossed out that like somebody went through like my underwear drawer or something like, ew, 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 ew. I hate this. This is so violating. No, I hate this. I hate, I hate this person who did this. This is so wildly unethical. I've never heard anything like this. I mean, come on. There's arbitrage out there, all right? Just just break the lease of this person or after the one year, turn this apartment into a short-term rental if you want. This is so wildly unethical. I hate this landlord. Like, I, I hate them. I hate this person with a burning passion. I This is the worst kind of person to, to knowingly accept that person's money for two months and then double dip the short-term rental income on top of it you are the scum of the earth this person is the worst kind of person i i I hate them i hate this person i feel so so bad for this tenant and i hope that they sue 
the bejesus out of this out of this landlord my dream for this person who posted this is that you sue them for everything that they are worth and i want by the end of this for you to own that entire apartment complex and you to be the landlord and then i want that guy this guy to have to pay you rent for the rest of his life that is my dream that is my dream for the person who posted this i am so angry on behalf of this person i cannot imagine how violating it would feel to come back and know that guests were just in your place and knowing that guests were if your landlord was okay with guests being there what do you think that the landlord is doing in that place like, you know, Airbnb guests are one thing. Maybe when they're coming, they they think that they're going to be reviewed. They don't know that there's anything weird about this. So they're going to treat the place kindly and with respect. I mean, I guess not because they stole your PC and PlayStation and a gun safe with a firearm inside. But I think for the most part, Airbnb guests would actually be kind of respectful because they want that five-star review. What is your landlord doing in your place? How do we know that like him and his girlfriend aren't going and like shacking up in your place because they know that it's going to be vacant? Or if he has a friend coming over he's just like oh yeah just crash here or we'll just party in your place how do we know that the landlord didn't steal those things from you and he's just blaming it on an airbnb guest honestly i find that more believable because most guests in my experience are good and i think that they're nervous about getting that five-star review in return because they want to keep using the platform so i actually feel bad for the guests here they were probably duped into thinking that this was a nice listing and then found that it was someone's personal home that was not prepped for this so yeah, I actually feel bad for the guests here. The landlord. My money is that the landlord stole this. I hate this person and I want you to sue them for everything they're worth and own that damn building by the time you're done. And with that, it is now checkout time. Thanks for listening and I'll see you back here next week. Lastly, as Airbnb hosts, we all can appreciate a good five-star review. So you already know a great review on this podcast would mean so much to me. Please subscribe, review, share, and connect with me in the show notes below. Bye.